We want to teach about the true light, the true light, the gospel of John chapter number one. And I would like to begin reading with verse four. All the preceding verses were talking about Jesus. And so here in verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Then verse 9 is our key text. That was the true light which lighteth every man cometh into the world, the true light. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, how wonderful it is to be able to spend Tuesday night in your word, fellowshipping with the saints. So now, God, for a few moments, we need you to help me to speak clearly, touch every heart, open every ear, Help us to be receptive to what we have to say about your son. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, we can't overestimate the importance of light. Without it, things don't grow, and we certainly lose a sense of balance because in darkness, we tend to walk in a sort of a, a halting fashion, but you walk confidently when the light is on because you're able to see clearer. And that's kind of the image I want you to think of when we think of what Christ does. He comes and he's the one that causes the shadows to disappear and really enhances our vision, our ability to discern. With, with, with Jesus, there were no gray areas, if we can say it that way. It was black or white, right or wrong, good or bad. But with Christians, we very often have uh, vision impairment. And, and we're in need of someone to try to enhance our vision so that we'll be able to see. And the whole point of the Lord coming into this world was to be able to help us in this way. And so his life, as he walked this earth, provided us with illumination. Now, there are different kinds of light. We all know we've got halogens and incandescent and LED and, and whatever one is your preferred form of light to use. The one thing I do know is life is a whole lot better with it than it was without it. Just try to imagine the days back when everybody had to do things by sunlight. Then if people had lamps or candles and when the people had candles and they were reading, Imagine how it really changed their life when somebody had a lamp. Things, things change quickly. So for us to have illumination in here now as we're reading and as we're teaching and talking, it's a whole lot better than things were had 135 years ago when people might have been living in a dugout somewhere. One of these little small uh, villages and they were trying to homestead out in the, the country. So Jesus comes and of course, the scripture says his life was to provide some form of illumination. And that is to say that 
we are to view life through the prism of his life. Things make so much more sense when you compare things and contrast them with Jesus. And all of society is understandable when we look at it in connection with who the king of king is. John the Baptist was a prophet, of course, and he came to bear testimony of the fact that the light had come into the world. He knew he wasn't that light the same way you and I know that. There's not one of us in here believes we're the Messiah. And if you do believe you're the Messiah, we can find a straitjacket for you. And we can get you, you know, get you some kind of entry into some facility where there might be five or six other people that are just like you and thinking that way. But John the Baptist, as odd as he was, eating locusts and wild honey and dressing in a way that's different than some other people might have dressed, he was here to point people to that light. He wanted people to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. Amazingly, though, a lot of people looked at him and still didn't recognize him for what he was. They did not understand that he was the true light. People thought he was false. They thought he was a person who didn't have all of his marbles. Some of them thought he was foolish. They accused him of being full of the devil. But you know as well as I do, looking at the text and all of the Gospels, he was the true light in comparison with what we could call false light. Because all religions claim to provide some kind of insight or illumination to God or to some kind of way of life. But what separates Jesus from all the other religions is that Christianity isn't just a religious set of beliefs. It's really about a relationship. There are no other faiths that claim to have their, their members having a personal relationship with God. It just doesn't happen. So you have to have a relationship with God based on sacrifices. You have to have a creed. You have to have all kinds of rules that you have to keep. But with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're able to have a form of intimacy with God because he comes and lives in your heart. Even in Islam, they don't say Muhammad's coming to live in anybody's heart. The Buddhists don't believe that Buddha came back to live in anybody's heart. And the ancient Greeks and Romans were not under the impression that Zeus or Jupiter or anybody else came to live inside of them, although they worshiped them. But according to scripture, our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God takes up residence in you as well as in me. And it is from inside of us that he wants to radiate that life of Christ that was the light of men. So the only way some people are ever going to be able to know about Christ is by looking at him through your life. And at the same time, people who are in the darkness of sin and in the bondage of sin, they very often have a difficulty being around you because the light is too bright. If you're in a room all day long and it's dark and then you step outside where the brightness of the sun hits you, you know, the first thing you start doing is squinting. Until your eyes get adjusted to the light. And if you get up in the middle of the night and you don't have a night light on, you go stumbling around the house trying to get to the restroom and hopefully you don't break a toe or, a, or an ankle or something like that. You know if somebody comes in behind you and turn the light on, one of the first things you'll say is please turn it off. Because immediately... Your visionary receptacles are flooded with all of this illumination and it's a problem for you. 
So the person who's living in sin, they have to come into contact with someone like you who loves the Lord and has a wonderful relationship with the king and everything about you antagonizes them. It bothers them. And that's what light does. And the reason it does that is because when you turn the lights on, you can see things better and in a clearer fashion. You go into any room where there are insects and bugs and you turn the light on and the bugs run for the corners. They run for a place to hide. And people that are living lifestyles worthy of conviction of sin and worthy of condemnation, when you come around, then people start feeling bad. They don't have to feel bad, but they feel bad because you don't do some of the things they do. Maybe you don't talk like they talk. Maybe you don't say the things that they say, do the things that they do, go the places that they go. But, but still, your life is an irritant. And I can give you a better illustration than that. If you're a person who is, let's say, you, 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 you say you're a Christian and let's say you are extremely liberal. So you get together at your family reunion and you got a family of people who are all conservative. What kind of mix do you think that's going to be? It's going to be quite, quite interesting. Let, let's suppose you are like me. You're not conservative. You're to the right of the conservative. You're fundamentalist like me. And then you go home to my family, and I've got some folks in my family that are liberal. I can tell you right now, as soon as I walk into the room, people's blood pressure starts rising because they have no idea on this earth how I'm going to respond to some of the things that may be said while we're home. Now, typically, I'm quiet anyhow. I'm, I don't want to be arguing and fighting with, with, with anybody, but, but the bottom line is, it's very difficult to take oil and water and cause them to mix. You understand that? It's very difficult. And if you understand that your beliefs as a Christian differ considerably from someone who's not a Christian, then you won't be trying to mix the two. You realize the worldview is different, your outlook, your perspective is different. And so this is why, in looking at this, we can see that this kind of life that was the light of men, in verse 5, it shined in the darkness and the darkness couldn't grasp it, couldn't control it, couldn't understand it. So, so this is what people will say about you. How in the world can you say you love Jesus and you not be pro-choice? How can you not want a lady to regulate her own body when she has another living creature in there. And then you say something like, well, because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it is God that causes the bones to grow in the womb. And then they say, well, I'm just not living by some old antiquated book like that. I can't even understand how you can believe that kind of a thing. See, The darkness can't comprehend the light. You come along and you say that, 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 that family consists of what the scripture describes with respect to Adam and Eve. And then somebody else comes along and has a, one husband, three wives involved with polygamy. And they look at you and they say, I just don't even understand how, how, how you can say that. And why, why would you tell a man he can't be in love with another guy or tell a girl he, she can't be in love with another girl? They ought to have a right to love whoever they want to love. What's wrong with you? 
I don't even understand you. Of course you don't. Because the Bible just told you that the darkness cannot comprehend the light. There's just a gulf between the two, and it's hard to bridge that gap. I should say impossible to bridge that gap outside of Christ. So when you see these people arguing on television and arguing in the community and at these different rallies, they are going to fight until the cows come in. Folks, I'm telling right now, without Jesus, there's not going to be any unity of thought. There's not going to be any unity in any, any of our culture because of the fact if you don't throw the floodlight of Christ upon it, we can't view it the same way. There's a true light. There's a false light. So notice then, verse number eight. John was not that light. He just simply came to tell everybody else about it. And that's all we're doing. There's, there's no reason for me to point out to you how wonderful technology is if technology is going to be used to destroy that light or to obscure that light. So as a Christian, I don't want to represent what is false. I want to represent what is true. So people say, well, all religions are the same. Untrue. So well, religions are just a spoke on a vast wheel, and they all go in different directions, but at the center there's a hub, and God is the one that all the paths are leading to. Incorrect. In fact, if all the religions were the same and we all were going to get to God in our own way, then why would Jesus say go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? So Jesus obviously believed what he was saying was correct because he was Jewish. There was a temple in Jerusalem and there was a priesthood offering sacrifices twice a day. And Jesus came along and he didn't say go around the world and preach the gospel of Judaism. He said go and preach the kingdom of God. He knew when he died on the cross that the rites, the ceremonies, and the liturgy of Judaism was going to be set aside by his death on the cross. Now, we still maintain the moral law. That is to say, we're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to commit adultery. We're not supposed to kill. All of that, the Ten Commandments, every one of the Ten Commandments comes right over into the New Testament. I can promise you that. I can show you in Paul's and Peter's epistles. Well, all of the Ten Commandments are there. So we're not supposed to bow down to other gods or have any other idols or anything like that. But I'm trying to, to emphasize that with all the religions we have in the world, they claim to provide insight to get to God. But Jesus made it very plain. No man comes to the Father but by me. I didn't say that. He said that. You say, well, that's That's narrow. Well, narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. So I get nervous whenever I hear people say, Pastor Darrell, you know, you really ought to be a bit more broad minded. Really? How broad minded would you like me to be? You know, So I, I, I prefer to hold to what the scripture says. Now, I'm not a prude and I'm not some some old fogey that doesn't want to live in the 21st century. I'm just simply saying when it comes to what I believe about God, there are some unchangeable truths that every one of us ought to live by. 
So let me give you a couple of those. If verse 9 is true, and I believe it is that Jesus is the true light, then what does that true light illuminate? Well, it casts light on our spiritual condition. Sinners, guilty before God. Before you became a Christian, whatever you believed about God, whatever you believed about the church, whatever you believed about preachers, whatever you believed about religion in general, the scripture says we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Every one of us came into this world a sinner, desperately in need of a savior. And as we grew older, we came to understand right and wrong. The conscience was brought alive by the truths that we learned from the word of God and just from living in life. And then we, we find out that Jesus died on the cross for us and realize we were alienated from the life of God and separated from God because of our sin. And we instantly began to feel guilty. And that is something that you cannot deal with on your own. Now, Adam and Eve tried. The scripture says they were in the Garden of Eden. They ate of the tree they should not have eaten of. Instantly, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed of themselves being in that condition. And so they tried to hide themselves in the bushes. Then God came to where they were. And ultimately, they had tried to cover up their nakedness with skins. And that became the pattern that still goes on in this world today. Whenever a man or woman feels guilty and they feel exposed and they feel bad, they try to think of ways to take away the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation that they experience. When sin entered into this world, people realized I'm exposed and I feel bad about being in this condition. That, that's why young, young ladies... Young girls, they hit that, that certain age where modesty becomes so important. You know, when they're just a little two or three-year-old running around, jumping in the, in the tub, nobody thinks anything of it. Just go in there, just wipe them down and taking care of them and all of that. And little brother and little sister, sometime if they're close in age, three and four, two and three, one and two, they're all sitting there in the tub and everybody's splashing water and it's all innocent and having fun. But there comes a point in the time when brother wants to come into the bathroom and little sister locks the door. I know it's the case because my own sister did it. There's something that occurs that gives people a greater awareness of how they are. And that's what sin did. Sin opened our eyes to this. And so man stands guilty in the presence of God because man feels guilty in the presence of God. Very often sinners have no desire to get into a church service. Scripture says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord except him that has uh, clean hands and a pure heart. So the so Sunday services and Bible studies typically are for people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. They should be designed for them. But we try to teach the Bible clear enough so that when people come in who do not know God and don't have a relationship with God, they can hear the scripture, accept the truths of the word of God and be born again by the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. But once we start changing and rearranging the way we do services in order to just simply reach and gratify people who don't know God, that's when we start taking polls of the people in the community and they say, what can we do to get you 
in church. And there have been plenty of people that have taken polls doing that. And then, of course, the people, they'll actually fill out the cards and they'll send them back in. They said, look, I'm telling you right now, you, 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 you get one of those back rooms, turned it into a pool hall where I can smoke. I'll be there tomorrow. And and if maybe if, uh, you know, you get some bar stools in there, let us drink a little bit. We'll fill it up. And and if and if, if they go far enough to be honest, they'll say, now, if you would at least from the pulpit not mention the word sin. And maybe don't say so much about the cross, you know, and and mention God, but don't say too much about Jesus. Then I think there'd be a whole lot of us that come to church. Well, I'm, I'm trying to help you to see that guilty man does not want to stand in the presence of a holy God. And the scripture said where two or three are gathered, Jesus is in the midst of them. So anybody could come in off the streets, be in the middle of all of you tonight, and they have a totally different feeling in here than what they would have if they were in Las Vegas at the Circus Circus Hotel down there pulling the slot machine. I've walked through there. I stayed in that hotel one time. I'm telling you right now, by the time I walked from the, from the back where they put the elevators all the way through the front where you got the little gals running around in their little outfits and got their little bunny tails on and all that, and they're serving food and then have to get all the way to the front just to get in a taxi to go where I had to preach, I was glad to get to a church service. Yeah. So, so guilty man doesn't want to feel guilty. So even Hollywood, they have created a culture in which nobody feels guilty, they say. But inwardly, I know there's still a whole lot of guilt. And the way they create the culture, they say, look, don't ever say that what someone is doing is right or wrong. There is no right or wrong. We just have what you do. So Jesus comes, he casts a light on that, and he helps us to see our condition. I'm lost and I'm away from God. That's the first thing he does. So the second thing he does, having pointed out the fact that we are sinners separated from the king, then that helps us also to see now that the true light shows us we're on a ruinous path. So if, if, if my life is wrong because I'm separated from the Lord, then I have to be on a path that's taking me further and further away from God. So I need to think about the direction and the course of my life now. Why is it that I'm making one bad decision after another bad decision? Because I'm not on the path of righteousness. Scripture says the steps of a good man are ordered by who? The Lord. So if I'm not a good man and I'm a sinner and I'm not serving God, then my natural trajectory is going to be further and further away from God. And God's trying to cast the light on that to help me to see you are moving further and further away from me. And where you are going is a dead end and it's a road to destruction. Yeah. So at least in society today, people are nice enough to put up a nice big sign that says, up ahead, bridge out. Don't you like to see signs like that? Don't you think it's better that they put that sign up a half mile, a quarter mile, or a mile before you get to the place where the bridge is out? Imagine if you were just driving along and then the sign, they had the sign just kind of protruding out the side of the hill or the cliff, and it was about maybe 40 feet out in the air. 
And so when you saw it, your car was already airborne. That wouldn't be pretty at all, would it? So this is why we have somebody like Jesus who comes along and he says he's the true light. He said, look, the road is out up ahead and the pathway you're on is dangerous and you need to change right now. Jesus said, I am the road. See, I am the path. I am the way, the truth and the life. So I think it's a whole lot better if, if people get on the road with him than if they continue to do, do their own thing. And as stubborn as some of us are, it's, it's kind of nice to have somebody who knows the directions. Now, long before anybody ever had GPS, thank the Lord for GPS and these navigational systems. But back when you had to drive and you remember you had to actually pull the atlas out. And you had to get an annual atlas because the roads and everything changed every year. And, and you would have to drive and your assistant driver over here would have to read the atlas and say, OK, we got approximately nine miles to go. And then we're going to have to turn here. What are my landmarks? Well, they don't put landmarks on here. Well, how far am I supposed to go? Everybody's yelling and going back and forth because nobody knows where they're going. But we're trying to get somewhere. Well, we've got Jesus now, and the scripture says those that are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. And when a person comes to know him, the Spirit of God comes into that person's life and helps guide them so that they know exactly where they need to go. And the Holy Spirit is not going to take you down a path that's going to lead to your destruction. The devil will. He'll bring young men and young ladies into your life that will destroy you. He'll bring a job into your life that will destroy you. There are a whole lot of people that grew up and had a relationship with God, but took a job and lost their relationship with God. There are a lot of people had passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, married the wrong guy, lost their passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who started attending a certain church and they were on fire for the king and loved God. They got to listening to a preacher, didn't believe the Bible, didn't care anything about the word of the Lord. And pretty soon he said, well, what's the sense of me going to church and reading the Bible? He, he doesn't believe. The, if the preacher doesn't believe. Why should I believe? See? So these are our paths that lead people further and further away from God. That young man or young lady that you have known and met who was abused physically, verbally, sexually, however it may have happened. And they just said, I don't want to have anything to do with Christians at all. See, that, that kind of a person is on a path that's moving them further and further from God, and they don't always recognize it. Sometimes they think they're doing pretty good. So if I know that I'm guilty before God and I come to learn that I'm on the wrong path, then quite naturally I, I need a, a way out. So verse 9 says, that was the true light which lighteth. We're going to say enlighteneth every man that cometh into the world. So the whole, the whole point then of Jesus coming is to provide illumination so that you can find your steps and, and, and the, the first way, the primary way he's going to do that is to encourage you to be born again, born from above. Other religions don't encourage that. What does that mean to be born again, born from above? That means a person comes to a point in their life where they realize that I need to surrender my all to God. 
not just go to church, not just read the Bible, not just associate with people that claim to be Christians, but I need to really take a good inward look at myself and the life that I've lived and come to the conclusion that, God, you're the only one that's able to rescue me, save me, redeem me, pull me out of this. And, Father, I am asking you now, as I repent of all of my sins, take this old feeble life and turn it and change it. Now, that's important because that's a personal decision. This is why we say it's a personal relationship Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people repented of their sins. Later on, we had 5,000. Paul continued to do this as he traveled. And I emphasize that because out here particularly, we have an entire culture of people who are misled on what it means to be a Christian. They honestly believe because... Mom and pops brought me up in front of the church and the preacher pulled out a little bowl of water and he sprinkled me as a kid. That made me a Christian. I can tell you I've met hundreds of people sprinkled. I've met people that have been immersed. Still had no relationship with God and never exhibited any grace of God in their life. So the key is not whether or not somebody gives you water but you ought to be baptized. And it's not whether or not someone gives you communion, but as a Christian, you ought to take communion. We understand that our salvation is a personal thing, and when God comes into our lives, he does a work that is inward, and if it is truly completed, there's going to be an outward manifestation of that inward work. So when we're saved from our sins, we stop acting like a sinner. We start acting like a Christian. Now, none of us are perfect. And, and some of us, we, 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 we catch on to this a little bit faster, or a little bit slower than others. But I want you to know this. If you go out there in your backyard and you plant a tree, and, and after 10 years of that little sapling being out there and it hadn't grown, and it hadn't borne any fruit after 10, 15, 20 years, long before then, you're probably asking the question, did I do something wrong here? And I think we have a, a lot of people who've misunderstood what it means to be planted in God in order to bear fruit in God. When you become a Christian, God gives you new appetites and new desires. You want to serve him. You want to read the Bible. You want to hear gospel music. You want to associate and assemble yourself with Christians. It's not like going to the dentist. If somebody says, okay, we're going to get ready to go to church, and then you go to grumbling like somebody's asking you to go have a root canal. What's the problem here? No, going to church and hang out with people that love Jesus, that's a fun time. The scripture says in his presence, there is fullness of joy at his right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. So if you could have been with Tiffany and I last week when we were hanging out with our friends in Texas, I wanted to come home on that Friday. You guys were having that ice and sleet storm up here. So Tiffany said, I'm not getting in the car driving across no ice and sliding all the way to Nebraska. So I said, okay, we'll just, we'll just stick around this extra day. And, and all of our friends, they, they stayed around too. And so we decided, 
had been planned already, we decided to go with everybody to the oldest indoor rodeo arena in the world, down at the stockyards in Fort Worth. So sure enough, we went and had beautiful seats right in the, the center part where you could see everything that was going on. And I'm telling you, them crazy people climb down there and them shoots on them bulls. And I don't know why anybody on planet Earth would want to do something like that. But, but that's exactly what they did. And then they open up that thing and people go to hooting and hollering and yelling and screaming. And the man is jerking and shaking. Look like he's getting religion up there the way he's jerking <laughs> and shaking. And he's probably calling on God, too. I'm telling you. But... <laughs> But I mean, that, those bulls, the way they swivel them hips, they'll throw somebody 15 feet in the air to get them off. Then the saddle bronc riders and what else did they have? A calf roping people. Why would anybody, anybody want to chase after a calf, then rope its neck and then run down the rope as fast as they can to try to flip the thing over and tie up its legs. But I'm telling these people were going crazy. And within about 15 minutes, I was crazier than they were. I said, yes, this is wonderful. Under eight seconds, great. Lasted eight seconds, wonderful. But, but here's the thing. Just Christians out having a good time, see, having a good time. And being a believer doesn't mean that you can't have a good time. And that, that's important because in the world that we live in today, if people are really going to enjoy their walk with God, they, they've got to be willing to fellowship and, and, and shine the light on other people. When, when you come into contact with people who don't know God, the only way to reach them is to reach out to them. And we can't reach sinners if we're not where sinners are. So you've got to be willing to do like Philip, climb up into somebody's chariot, and then begin to minister to them and share with them the word of God. And then when somebody starts asking you questions like, what are you guys doing here? Because I can assure you, Tiffany and I were sitting in there. There were not a whole lot of people look like us. I'll give you my word on that. I told her when we got there, I said, honey, there'll be, there'll be less than 10 that look like you and me. And, the re and there were less than 10. And the other ones from there, they were all from Africa, I believe. So here we were just rejoicing, having fun with all of our friends. And I was so glad afterwards to have been able to be a part of that. So the true light, he came, he shined the light on my life, he helped me know I was on the wrong path, same thing he did with you, but then he also helped me to know I need to be born again. I need a new life, I need to start over, and I need to ask God to help me to live this life with him. But if I, if I reject that light, then what happens? Trouble comes. If I decide to reject the true light, according to scripture, I end up going to a place that's not so nice. Scripture talks about a place of eternal darkness where the worm dieth not, where men and women are gnashing their teeth, a place called hell. So rather than stay on the path that's going to lead me away, if I hear the truth, I want to embrace the truth because I want my name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. The scripture said whoever's name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life 
is going to be cast into hell, which ultimately will be cast into the lake of fire, as it says in the book of Revelation. So some people like to mock Christians and say, well, you just want to serve Jesus because you want to have fire insurance. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right. The reason we pay for automobile insurance is because if someone gets in an accident, we want uh, the premium we've been paying monthly to take care of it. And if it's somebody else on the other side, we want them to be able to get the care that they need from the insurance that we have. So whenever someone tells me that you're just one of these guys that are pie in the sky believers and, and you're just doing everything you can to escape going to hell. And I'm saying, look, you can say whatever you want, but I have no intention, no desire to go there at all. Jesus said it was prepared for the devil and his angels, so it was never intended for people like you and me. However, people like you and me who reject the truth as the devil and his angels did, they are going to hell and there is no exit there. No exit sign, folks. Scripture says that in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus, or in that story of the rich man and Lazarus, you remember Lazarus was out there every day just trying to get whatever crumbs he could as the, as the wealthy man went back and forth, and he probably never paid attention to him at all. And he was so sickly. Scripture says the dogs came and licked his wound. Now, you know as well as I do, you're not going to let any dog come up to you and just start licking the sores on your body. But if the dogs were doing that, he likely was too weak to even keep them away. And the rich man was eating pretty good every day, looking out the window, seeing what was going on, but didn't care, just kept eating. And then eventually, both of them died. See, that's the key to the story. Both of them died. The rich and the poor meet together in the grave. That's what the scripture says. The poor man, Lazarus, died and uh, was carried by the angels over into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died, and then the very next line says, and in hell he lift up his eyes. So that tells me in hell you can see. He even asked for some water. He obviously wanted something that could quench that dry thirst and dry taste in his mouth. And he said, could, could you please send somebody to talk to my brethren so they won't come to this awful place? So he obviously still had his memory. Can you imagine how many people there are in hell today that can remember the opportunities they had to serve God but chose not to serve God? Everyone that's there right now, I give you my word, if they could come back for five minutes or 30 seconds, they'd run down an aisle or fall on their knees somewhere to become a Christian, just to turn their life over to God. So if I reject that truth, then, of course, I end up uh, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. However, if I accept Jesus as the true light, I get to go to heaven. Far better place than going to hell. So what is it so, that's so wonderful about heaven? Just being where God is. It wouldn't matter to me if heaven was out in the middle of an ocean somewhere. Just wherever God is, I want to be. If it was on a deserted island, it wouldn't be deserted long if God was there and he brought all of us. See, wherever he is, that is where I want to be. And so some people get into these, these arguments in their mind and with themselves about where heaven is. Because they say, now look, we're on this side of the earth, so if you die or something, we go up. 
Then you go that way, but the folks on the other side of the earth in China, you know, if they go up, then what direction are they going? I'm saying, who cares? I just want to be where God is. Okay? It's not a matter of, of that kind of orientation. It's, it's, it's about stepping from this earth realm into an eternal sphere, and you immediately are in the presence of God. Why in the world are we worried about whether or not the folks over there are going that way and we're going this way and are we all going to be going up together and they're going to be before us? All the scripture says is when the coming of the Lord occurs, the dead in Christ shall arise and we which are alive and remain shall meet him in the clouds. See, that's the key. So, so heaven is going to be a a lovely place because the scripture says in heaven there'll be no need for a sun because the lamb will provide the light. Now we have never been in a room where there are no shadows. But when you get to heaven, there won't be any shadows. I guarantee there will be colors there. The fullness of those colors will look different than the colors we have down here on planet Earth that are stained and affected by sin. Very much so. Because scripture says over there, there won't be any sickness and disease, no liars, no murderers or anything like that. And if 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 none of that's going to be there, I think that'll be a pretty good place to uh, to live. Yeah. Now, we don't, you know, most people don't like stereotypes, you know, they don't, they don't like that kind of a thing. But, you know, growing up in, in Cleveland, Ohio, and it, this may not necessarily have been true, uh, it, it certainly wasn't good, but, you know, in all different groups of people, folks have stereotypes in their head about other folks. It's just, just the way they, the way they, the way they, the way they think. So... Uh, when, when it came to Hispanic people, as I said, not tr- not true, but just a stereotype people had in their head. They, they just believed that if if you got enough of them that came in, pretty soon in the backyard you're going to have cars up on bricks and all this sort of thing. And, and I heard that from people people in the neighborhood. And, and then when they talk about uh, going into the Polish area or Italian. Neighborhoods, you got to always be careful to go around Italians and stuff like that. You go down there to Little Italy and that part of Cleveland, folks deal with the mob. Black people go down there and disappear and never hear from them again. I mean, just all, all that kind of stuff you hear growing up. But, but this is what I also knew about my own folks, my own people, my own ethnicity. They robbed, they raped, they had gangs. They were doing terrible, terrible things to, to, to the point where they would complain when anybody who was black actually made something of themselves and then moved out of the ghetto or out of the inner city and moved to a suburb or something like that. But even my wife and I, we said, look, I mean, we go home to visit our family members in different places and, and we've said to one another, look, look, I want to see Blacks and African-Americans, just let me see them on television. With all of the crimes sometimes I see with people shooting at each other. Get weary of it. But do you realize when we get over there in heaven, not going to have to deal with any of that? Yeah. We don't have to deal with any of the stereotypes 
anymore. There won't be any racism there. See? So there's not going to be this whole black and white thing. There's not going to be any Antifa over there taking bats and breaking stuff down. Nobody's going to be a neo-Nazi with a shaved head on the other side ready to fight with anybody that comes against them that they don't like because they're Catholic, because they're Jewish, because they don't speak English. All this stuff, folks. And this is why I said in the beginning, the only way there's ever going to be peace in, in our culture, the only thing that can bridge that gap is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. We've tried everything. Yeah, we've tried everything. I've watched the government in the cities take uh, millions of dollars and pour them into poor white areas in the urban cities and give them brand new parks and all of that. And inside of four or five years, those parks just look like anything else because it's not about renovating the, the environment. You've got to change the people. If you don't change the heart of the people, it'll go right back to what it is. But if Jesus comes and casts the light on things and shows us where we are in connection with him and how our lives can change by walking with him, I don't have to care about what my neighbor does. If I live my life as a Christian, I can expect blessing. Amen. So that's the key. Oh, if we do what we need to do, we won't have the kind of issues that some other people do have. This is why Jesus is the true light that came into this world. All these angry people that want to chase after uh, the nation of Islam and be angry, that's a false light. All the people in the religion of Islam and they're putting bombs on themselves, going out, blowing up people at bus stops, it's a false light. You ever notice that you rarely, rarely, if ever, see somebody in the nation of Islam or somebody in Islam in general that's happy? They have no choirs, no praises, no, no, no praise songs that they sing in their worship. Whenever you see people, they're angry. See? Never. You've got you've to pay attention to those kinds of things. And even when we have folks of other religions that have the happiness and the joy that they seem to exhibit, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses who go door to door witnessing, smiling, talking to people. Remember, they don't believe what you believe about Jesus, that Jesus is sufficient as our everything, as our atoning savior who died on the cross for our sins. And I'll finish by just telling you this. I'm, I'm sure... In the other town where, where we live, the, all of the people that worship at the Kingdom Hall know that uh, Brother Daryl's not really into all of that. And, and uh, where we live, we, we just got them in every direction. You know, just it's us, and then we got another couple that comes to our church. We're the ones holding up the corner there, just ser serving God. And then he got all this other stuff. Well, one time they had... They come to the house and they typically they'll split up. So the one group from one town will go to another town and go door to door and witness them. Group from another town come to Red Cloud. So they came. Some people knocked on the door. And I, I opened it up and saw. And they said, oh, we just, we just hear from so-and-so. We want to tell you about uh, this little magazine we have. We're having a special meeting over here in this other town. And we'd like you to come. We got a Watchtower magazine we'd like you to have. And they had a, some beautiful children 
with them. Couldn't have been more than seven, eight or nine. And, and there I stepped out on the porch and they're, you know, they, they've already got those answers ready. They're prepared because they kind of have an idea of how you're going to respond and what you're going to say and what you might ask. So they have these things down, but, but they weren't ready for me. They, they, weren't, they, they weren't ready for me. And so they, they got to talking and we're going through all of that. And so in the middle of that, I kind of stooped down to where those beautiful little kids were. And I got them real close to me and I said, now, now darling, one day you're going to get older and you're going to realize everything mama and daddy been telling you is not true. And I, you, you talk about an about face. They were gone. And I hadn't seen anybody had anybody knocking on the door in years. But 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 here's the thing. You know, I, I tell that I tell that laughingly, but I'm serious about this Christian faith. And I'm not compromising for anybody. And when opportunities present themselves, I share because that very well could be seed that later on when somebody gets older, they start thinking about that and they start wondering. I wonder, is this right? If somebody picks up that Bible and starts reading the Gospel of John, thinking about Jesus, miracles can take place. Let's have a word of prayer, then if we have any questions or comments, we'll talk a little bit. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so happy to have an opportunity to look into the scriptures. We're happy that Jesus is that true light. He changed our lives, and we are so grateful and if we haven't told you, thank you, we're telling you again. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen.